This show is sponsored by FIS. Welcome to Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech radio show and podcast. I'm Brett King. And I'm Jason Henricks. Every week since 2013, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in financial services. From incumbents to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help create a more innovative, inclusive, and healthy financial future. I'm J.P. Nichols, and this is Breaking Banks. Welcome to Breaking Banks. You're back with the number one podcast and radio show on fintech globally. Um, Of course, we've been doing this since May 2013. Today, we are taking a dive into the African fintech scene and joining me all the way from uh, Kenya, from Nairobi, uh, the brothers Paul and Eddie Nadichu, um, who are the founders also of WapiPay. Paul and Eddie, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much and very nice to hear from you again, Brett. This is Eddie. Um, thank you so much and so happy to be to be back. Thanks, Brett. Yeah, no, um, so, every now and then. Yeah, no, no. Uh, so, Eddie, um, uh, firstly to you, um, you know, some of the listeners may remember we did a walk around on the streets of Nairobi, uh, trialing M-Pesa back in, I think it must be 2018. I think it was 17 or 16. 2017, yeah, 2017 or 16, yeah. So it was a while back, but it was one of our favourite episodes, actually, the the M-Pacer episode. We uh, were very fortunate. Uh, Eddie uh, got us the opportunity to meet up with Bob Collymore for breakfast. Um, Bob Collymore unfortunately passed a couple of years ago, um, but he was in many ways the brains and energy behind the M-Pacer brand for Safaricom. Um, so I really valued uh, valued that visit to uh, Kenya. We also met up with the central bank governor, um, you know, in, in Kenya at the time. It was a fantastic trip, which we were able to share with you guys, obviously, on the radio show. So let's take a quick flashback back to that trip uh, Breaking Banks made to Nairobi, Kenya, and our interview with the late Bob Collymore, who was at that time the CEO of M-Pesa. He'll be dearly missed, but uh, here are some of his uh, insights on how M-Pesa had had an effect on uh, Kenya in terms of mobile money movement and financial inclusion. Well, look, I mean, I've been um, involved in the company for um, 10 years, actually. So I was here when the, the product launched. Uh, there was a lot of resistance, actually, even from our own distribution base at the time, because people couldn't, couldn't kind of kind of see it, and they couldn't see how they could make money out of this. Um, in the six years that I've been here, we've more than doubled our customer base. We're currently sitting at about 22 million customers out of a total uh, mobile customer base of about 26 million. Now, if you take the population of Kenya as being uh, 45 million, half of whom are adults, you can see we're capturing pretty much every adult in the country. We are are transmitting probably about the equivalent of 40% of the country's GDP through the system. And um, at peak, we're doing about 600 transactions per second, which is faster and more voluminous than any other banking system. In 120 years, KCB has established one of the largest banks on the African continent and have had over 4 million customers in Kenya alone, or close to 4 million. 
That's around 10% of the population. But those fights with M-Pesa? Well, here's Bob Collymore again from Safaricom. Well, banks saw it as a threat, um, but more recently, banks have increasingly started to see it as complementary to what they want to do. Um, we now work in collaboration with about 40 different banks, uh, and we have some deeper relationships with a couple of banks. One is the Commercial Bank of Africa, and the second is the Kenya Commercial Bank, KCB, uh, with whom we started to really deepen financial inclusion to give people access to microloans, microsavings, and you can now save from as little as one U.S. cent. Um, for for one transaction, which is which is cheaper than you can do, uh, actually, I don't think you can do it in any banking system, frankly. M-Pesa does a couple of things. It um, it is safer, it is more secure, and it's cheaper. And so, people who want to move money up country, they would put the money log lodge their money onto M-Pesa, onto a SIM card. And because they're scared of being being robbed, and if you're robbed and you have your phone and your SIM card taken away, or indeed if you're taken at gunpoint, um, then what they do is they sew a number of their SIM cards into their clothing. So when they get to the other end, they still have the equivalent of $1,000 in each one of those SIM cards. Now, I heard another story. I don't know whether you've heard this, but in some of the villages up country... Um, people can't afford to have you know, multiple mobile phones, so they share a mobile phone for the village, but everyone has their SIM card. Is this apocryphal or is this a real story? No, it is a real story um, because mobile penetration is getting better and smartphone penetration is getting better, uh, but there's still pockets where people don't have the phone. But actually, you know, I can give you some more interesting stories. So if you take the refugee camps, for example, we've been working with the World Food Programme to deliver food aid as an electronic voucher onto a SIM card. Now, where the refugee doesn't have a phone, but they do have a SIM card, they simply pop the SIM into the phone of the shopkeeper, do the transaction, and take the SIM back out. Today, we're going to talk about Wappy Pay and their uh, new uh, um, startup. Well, you know, technically not new. They've been going for a couple of years, um, but they just raised a couple of million dollars to digitize African-Asia trade payments. Um, so maybe, uh, Paul, why don't you start with us telling about, you know, what, is, what does Wappy Pay mean? What, what's behind the name, you know? Well, well, thanks, Brett. So, um, Wapi Pay um, uh, comes from the the word the word Wapi. Wapi is a Swahili word meaning where, and basically Wapi Pay meaning uh, where in the world would you pay? And uh, you're very right. We just set it up just almost two years ago now, and uh, largely looking at um, or started looking at remittances and cross border payments uh, within and around Africa. Fantastic. And you guys, um, you started this uh, just as the pandemic sort of hit uh, hit the world, didn't you? You started into 2019, early 2020? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we, we left. Hell of a we, time to start a startup, guys. Yeah. <laughs> didn't see it coming by February uh, 2020. But, uh, but no, we, we started seeing quite a number of things. Um, we, when we started looking at cross-border payments within Africa, we very clearly chose to focus on Africa, on Asia, the Asia corridor, um, largely because when you look at remittances across across Africa, um, the 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 premise is largely uh, for uh, sending money back home for sustenance. Um, yet there's the other flow, which is the payouts, um, and and that is three, four, five times as much as um, the money that comes comes back home. So. 
when we set up uh, right right at the beginning of the pandemic, um, looking to build our blueprint, which was Kenya China first, uh, which we we ended up doing very well. We saw some interesting things. Uh, we saw governments first of all make money mobile money uh, more easy, more free actually, and easily accessible. So people would uh, move into making mobile payments as opposed to. Uh, using banking infrastructure to do payments and, and daily payments or even cross-border payments. And then uh, we 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 like we started WapiPay. You know, we got customers before we even had a tech platform, and uh, we saw our customers demand um, to make payments now on their mobile phone. Uh, given that um, uh, everyone was all on lockdown, you know, the country was locked down two, three, four times in the year. Um, so we expected, I think, going into the first quarter um, after the announcement that um, uh, payments, uh, cross-border payments, would go down. Given that largely our cross-border payments is largely for trade, focusing on uh, focusing on Africa, uh, but we actually saw the inverse. We recruited uh, more Chinese customers or customers based out of China. Remember when the pandemic happened? Um, you know, it first kicked off from that corridor, and uh, the, the Chinese community here needed to send money back home, and they needed a convenient way to do it. We also had corporates wanting to do salary payouts very quickly and very much more often uh, to support people people back home. So in the first quarter, we expected things to go down and given that we thought we'd get more African uh, customers at the beginning, but we ended up being more Chinese customers uh, and our volume started kicking in and we saw this continue throughout um, throughout the year. Uh, and by the, by the second half of the year, um, we saw local customers, um, you know, from from Kenya, uh, Uganda, Tanzania, start to start to have um, quite a fair bit of demand for uh, for the the need to make a payment for their suppliers and for things to sort of resume and come back into uh, in, in, into the trade, uh, get back into into doing business and doing trade. So you guys are doing remittances as well as trade payments, right? Yes, that's correct. We're incorporated out of, out of Singapore, and that's where we started off from. And then now uh, we're now incorporated in Kenya um, and, and seeking a license here as well. We're, we're, we're licensed under the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Very good. Uh, with my friend Sapendu Mahanti uh, out there at MAS heading up fintech. So um, in 2019, remittance flows to sub-Saharan Africa were at, um, about $50 billion. Um, but it's obviously expected to go up. But you're all, you're not talking necessarily about remittance flows just into the country. You're also talking about a lot of um, trade-related payments um, going offshore. And China's strategic position with Africa, given the Belt and Road, is is fairly clear. Um, have you guys thought about um, you know joining up with the uh, the Chinese uh, digital yuan trials? Absolutely. We're, we're, we're aggressively looking for uh, digital asset projects to kick off, and it will be one of the first ones out of Africa. I think the expertise is what we are really seeking after, you know, this, you know um, and, and the experience that they've had with the, with the digital one. And uh, this will be very interesting. Moving away from um, the traditional funding and settlement models, as you would know them, and into digital asset settlements, uh, this with far more information and far more, uh, a lot faster and, um, and, and, and far, far more acceptance. This is something that's within our product uh, uh, roadmap. And then we're very excited to, to, to kick off this project within the next uh, four to six months. Uh, but there's also many other, many other projects we're very, we're very excited about.
So how tough was it to raise uh, financing during the pandemic for, uh, you know, for, for a startup like this based out of Africa and Singapore? Yeah, I think that's uh, a great question. It was extremely difficult to start with. Um, but if you look at, you know, pre-seed seed investments, particularly from VCs, um, four or five years ago, the ticket sizes were well below 250,000 USD. Um, fast forward now, especially during the pandemic, I think there's more appetite to, to fund, particularly fintechs, um, a lot more seed capital. Um, it's now all the way to up to $3 million uh, for, for, for pre-seed type seed raise. Um, of course, you know, the calls are back to back. We had to do the entire fundraising out of, um, out of Zoom. Um, we got some fantastic VC and, uh, engagements. Um, as you know, majority of our investors are actually uh, Asia-based, uh, China specifically. So we've got MSA Capital um, out of Beijing. We've got Keppel African Funds who are actually out of Japan. Um, and then we've got EcoVC here locally uh, in, in Africa. So I think to answer your question, it was, uh, it was, it was quite a lot of back and forth. Um, it was a lot um, harder um, to, to get the conversation going, but I think we got we got a hand on some good VCs who understood exactly what the problem uh, we're trying to solve. Did you have to do this remotely via Zoom or did you travel to China? No, absolutely no travel. Um, so it was all via Zoom, via Booth. Uh, via WeChat calls, via Google, um, it was all on screen. So, uh, so this this was extremely this was extremely painful at the beginning, as Paul says. But um, we 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 found we found some 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 very interesting guys who really understood the business model and uh, and given the traction that we've done in 2020, um, it was pretty straightforward and, uh, and and they got pretty excited about it. So where would you position this in respect to sort of the competitive landscape um, and, you know, what, what uh, led you to decide to start a, uh, a you know, a, a cross-border trade payments business? That's a, that's a great question, Brett. And, and I think um, even the time we spent here in, uh, with you in Kenya, um, uh, Africa is a very... Uh, it's a very interesting market. If you look at the competitive space, a lot of them focus on the pay-ins into Africa, yet the payouts infrastructure is completely non-existent. I think we're still back in the, we're still using the SWIFT uh, uh, system as well as the correspondence banking model to move the funds. Um, and that's why I say the funding and settlement model is, has not changed. And um, we saw a, a fantastic opportunity, but like Africa, you know, is, is, it's, it's, it's a homogeneous um, uh, uh, continent with very many countries, very many currencies. And we're capturing, we built a fantastic platform. We're bringing quite a bit of data on the roadmap into very many verticals um, uh, down the path um, in, in offering financial services. So cutting from corporate salary process payments all the way down to individual uh, trader uh, B2B payments uh, and even merchant acceptance. Let me ask you about the regulator's position here. You've just um, you've just announced the funding round, um, you know, and and you said obviously you've incorporated in Singapore. Um, you guys uh, both have a, a pretty good relationship with the uh, the local regulator. Um, you know, um, how how has the process been in terms of um, getting your local license at the Kenya? Well, um, it's it's taken quite some time, especially uh, around the conversation on digitizing remittances. Um, you know, it's not just another simple financial institution attempting to do money transfer. Um, taking that conversation along and, and mentioning we want we want to make it a lot easier, a lot faster for 
for customers to be able to process uh, transactions and therefore we'll need to use some um, some new kinds of technologies to be able to do so. Um, it's taken longer than than uh, most most applications, um, but we've been patient with it. Um, and like you say, uh, you know, we've got an, an opportunity to learn quite a fair bit from um, from the regulator in terms of the things that they're looking at or they're concerned about. But also the, the Central Bank of Kenya has a very strong relationship with the Monetary Authority of Singapore. And we, we sort of sat in that middle sweet spot um, to be able to um, support them to understand the, the kind of business model we're building, uh, understanding fintech. Um, and eventually um, it's, it's looking like we got the lights at the end of the tunnel, um, which, which technically makes us the, the first remittance uh, business out of Kenya to be able to do. To, that's awesome. Um, and, you know, are you are you going to need to put some staff on the ground in places like China or is this, uh, um, you know, is mainly a tech stack issue? Um, so in China, it's it's mainly a tech stack. As you would know, setting up a business in, in China is not as um, is not as easy. And that's why we, we, we chose Singapore and now going into Hong Kong. Um, eventually, you know, to be able to set up the business firmly in China, uh, quite a bit more capital would be required. But eventually we expect to be able to um, set up uh, in, in China firmly uh, once, once we're able to raise enough capital to do so. Very good. Um, now, Eddie, is, um, is the, the governor at the central bank the same guy that we met with previously? Yes, yeah, still the same guy. Good. Well, send uh, Patrick, isn't it? Patrick Nyorga, yes. is that was that his yes. name? Please send him my regards. It, it, we'd love to uh, to have him back on the show as well to talk about fintech. So, as I just mentioned with the Nadichu boys, uh, we did get the opportunity in Kenya to visit the uh, office of the governor of the Central Bank of Kenya and talk to him about the formation of M-Pesa or the licensing of M-Pesa from a regulatory perspective. And uh, more importantly, how there was some pressure and some uh, fun and games from the traditional players as M-Pesa started to dominate the mobile money space in Kenya. Until eventually the banks worked out they'd be better off um, working with M-Pesa. But here's Patrick Nyoge, the uh, the governor of the Central Bank of Kenya. It's nice to talk to you about uh, financial inclusion and indeed fintech more generally. M-Pesa, the M-Pesa is really the the first of uh, products in the fintech space that really. Uh, changed the way we do business in terms of banking. And uh, it was in the first instant a sort of a transfer of funds uh, between two individuals, you know, a system that allowed that. And I think the point here is that the, the, uh, the innovators presented the, um, a sort of a proposal to the regulator, and uh, in this case, the Central Bank of Kenya. And there was a lot of uh, to-in and froing going back and forth, looking at the objectives um, of, uh, in this case, making the transfer in a safe environment, and at the same time, looking at uh, how to minimize the, the risks that that may be implied. So it is actually a product that came into being after the original idea, but then it sort of refined. So in that sense, 
there is a design element. Um, it's always important, but uh, I think it is important to understand that really we began from uh, looking at the objectives, in a sense, first principles, and then building on that and providing a product that actually was, uh, was able to provide the transaction in a safe environment. I like that idea of first principles. I might use that. <laughs> um, now, at the start of the M-Pesa rollout, there was some resistance from the banks. But when we look uh, globally at fintech, one of the challenges uh, regulators are facing is how do they get these new fintechs and these new and these uh, traditional players, the banks, to play play nice together. Now that's happened uh, on top of the Mpesa network. So, as a regulator, how did you stimulate this type of cooperation between the banks and these new players? Good question, Brett. Really, that challenge is not so much in understanding new ideas. I think the challenge for everyone is escaping from the old ideas that they are sort of entrenched in. So, and uh, it's tougher to change. Change isn't always comfortable. Um, And I think this is what uh, was clear in this exercise. The point here was uh, uh, appealing to the to the final consumer. It's the final consumer that actually voted with their feet, or in this case, with their wallet, um, and uh, saw the product and indeed um, sought out the product and saw that it was useful for what they were doing. And, and the growth was, in a sense, you know, just uh, astronomic. Um, and, uh, and I think that's what then made everyone else see, all other institutions, that this is, uh, this is something that is uh, obviously uh, that has caught on, but it wasn't just fashionable. It was something, it was, it was providing a specific service, which they could also provide. So they have got onto the bandwagon. So I think it is more the consumer. And again, uh, it's not banks, it's not the middleman that, ha- that decides it's really, at the end of the day, it's the consumer sees a product that actually provides specific services that they want and, uh, and then uh, wants to adopt that product. Now, the technology has been a great uh, leveler. So my final question to you is, for a young entrepreneur in Kenya, um, how would you encourage them to keep this innovation cycle going? You know, what do you think is next for, for Kenya? Ah, I wish I could have a crystal ball and uh, look at it and tell you what would be next and all that. But I mean, more generally, the, I think the first thing is we expect a lot of new products, uh, products that are aimed at the consumer. I think there is no shortage of ideas of new widgets, um, apps, and all those other things. But a lot of them may be just focused on uh, what I can do as an innovator, but not the consumer. So you need to understand what the consumer wants. Uh, I think that's the fundamental thing. What is it? What is the gap that you are filling uh, or your product will fill? Now, from my perspective, there are a lot of uh, products that are needed uh, in terms of, uh, or there are gaps in the area of various uh, consumer services. I've talked before about savings products. I've talked before about insurance products. I've talked before about health products. I've talked before about things that products that would help 
smallholders, I mean, smallholder farmers. That, those are spaces that uh, are virtually infinite in terms of have uh, infinite need. Um, and that's why I think the, the entrepreneurs need to come and uh, fill those gaps. Now, from their perspective, I think it is important to encourage them, that is the entrepreneurs, meaning they should not feel that uh, there is only one product that will fill that space. Oh, no, no, no. Um, and I think it's only their own, the limit really is their own ingenuity. And from that perspective, I'm very glad that uh, Kenya has a, a rather deep pool of uh, innovators, people who are interested and are actually in touch with the, with the ultimate consumers. So, yeah, let's stand back. Let's see how things go. Of course, the regulator will always be there. All these things need to be put in a context of a safe environment minimizing risks so that uh, actually the products work well. So, yes, you do need that, and therefore the innovators need to work closely with the, uh, with the regulators. But, yeah, I think uh, the sky's the limit. The way we move money is changing. We want to send money in real time to the other side of the world. We want everything in one place, integrated, seamless, and on our devices. Embedded, fast, standardized, frictionless, and secure. These are our financial futures. The Financial Futures podcast by FIS explores fintech innovation and the trends that are already transforming the way the world pays, banks, and invests across the globe. And the mechanisms we'll need to prosper in this brave new landscape. Is the world's technology up to the challenge? Are we... Find Financial Futures on your favorite podcasting app, FIS, advancing the way the world pays, banks, and invests. Can you guys tell us about the impact the pandemic has had on, you know, fintech businesses, digital banks, and so forth, Pan-Africa? You mentioned very briefly that there tends to be deeper pockets for investment in fintech now, but um, is that because fintech is heating up? You know, give us a bit of perspective of how the pandemic has, uh, has impacted fintech there. The pandemic has really actually helped uh, a lot of fintechs. Um, as you would know, a lot of things are getting digitized now, um, and it's not just uh, you know new business models, existing business models. Uh, people are working from home, so we're seeing actually an increase in traction for for digital businesses, particularly for fintechs um, uh, that need to build further, greater solutions for people to use. So it's worked out. Um, quite quite, uh, quite well for, for fintechs. But I think broadly, if you look at uh, our business model, we focused on termination of funds into China and Southeast Asia. This is because Africa is a net importer. I think 85 to 90% of everything we see here in, in Africa is imported out of, out of Asia. This is the tune of almost $300 billion um, every year. We're looking to tap into that stream of value um, of these payments and just make it easier for people to, to pay into China and Asia. Um, with the pandemic, it's actually uh, brought a demand for new fintechs to think about solutions that people can use, um, not only just to continue and facilitate trade, but also you know, build new opportunities for, for young people, um, for Africa. I think we've got the, the, the mean age of about 25 years old uh, across Africa, and you're looking at a billion people. So, so yeah, I think two things. One, pandemic has helped 
um, you know, these solutions come up in the forms of fintechs, but also secondly, you know, giving people opportunity to, um, to start businesses um, uh, across Africa. But also, Brett, um, uh, it's not just pure fintechs, um, you know, uh, getting momentum or getting funding, um, you know, although we've, of course, from West Africa, you've seen a couple of unicorns come up um, in terms of pure fintech plays. But we're also seeing on-demand players and um, marketplaces, uh, players um, get some strong funding, uh, but people having to stay home, people are having to rely on deliveries. People are having to rely on uh, mobile and internet communication to be able to buy and sell, um, and this and this is making is making the, the the environment pretty pretty interesting. I think we've we've just sped up about two to three years. Yeah, I mean, I, my view is uh, obviously e-commerce has seen a big increase. I've seen numbers coming out of Kenya and um, uh, Nigeria talking about forty to sixty percent in uh, you know increases in some some cases. Um, but but obviously, you know, the the really interesting fintech market potentially potentially is sub-Saharan Africa for the unbanked. Um, you know, we see um, in LATAM with Nubank and we see in southern China with WeBank that, you know, um, some of the uh, the digital pure play operators are getting very, very good at servicing the low to middle income unbanked space, you know, the, the poorer um, elements of society who've never had a traditional bank account. Um, it, it, are you starting to see solutions like that take shape, um, you know, uh, particularly for the sort of billion unbanked in sub-Saharan Africa? Absolutely. And, um, and, and actually, one of the fascinating things is uh, mobile money has just allowed for money to move a lot faster and a lot easier uh, through mobile phones. And people can now affordably, um, you know, majority of Africans can access um, a mobile phone before they can even access financial services. Uh, what What's happening now is on top of mobile money is um, uh, new products, new financial products, uh, uh, you know, are being introduced to consumers. Um, digital lending was the first one to kick off, but now we're seeing um, uh, say all, for all the way from savings to uh, FX trading and people being able to be um, educated on USSD or how to um, how to buy um, a foreign currency like US dollar. We've got um, an interesting fintech trying to do this. Um, we've got a, a lot of customer education happening to allow them to save. And of course, um, definitely around insurance. We've seen some very good funding for digital insurance in one of uh, one of them out of Kenya. And um, and 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 Brett, what's really making these 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 fintech. Uh, or financial products accessible um, over and above education is, is largely mobile money because of how easy it is yeah. um, to move to move to move the money from the customer um, and, and and being able for the customer to be able to access the product. So people can understand this compared with physical debit cards you'd get with a traditional current account, um, you know, in, in across Africa, uh, uh, comparing that with mobile money, what would you say in terms of day-to-day discretionary spending, where does that sit today in terms of debit cards versus mobile wallets of the mobile money type variety? You know, um, it, uh, a mobile wallets uh, outpacing um, debit cards, how would you how would you position that? Well, like if you remember me, um, uh, Brett, I speak straight. 
um, the sad thing is that it's never changed. It's um, the, the, the amount of cards being issued um, has always been flat. It's never changed ever since you were last year, for instance, in Nairobi, Kenya. Wow. Um, the number of ATMs are actually going down, even given the pandemic. Uh, people were being asked during the pandemic to stop using instruments like cards, uh, use more of mobile money. What this did, Brett, is it got people to very quickly uh, register with their mobile banking um, service with their banks. And what we're seeing is uh, for every, I would I would bet for every one debit card that is issued by a bank, um, about a hundred mobile banking uh, activations are being, are being done. Um, and that's because people like M-Pesa made uh, moving uh, bank money from your bank account to M-Pesa to be able to pay completely free from from literally one two percent to absolutely zero um, to be able to just simply use the money on on your phone. So um, debit cards, um, you know, are, are a mere single digit percentage of the kind of activations we're getting out of mobile money. But even what's even more interesting is mobile apps and USSD apps um, and mobile banking uh, services um, are now largely being uh, are getting mass market acceptance because uh, the dependency now is 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 on mobile money. The interesting thing is the share of wallets is quick, especially for the the, the unbanked or the the debanked, especially from the youth who um, you know. From if you turned 18 last year, you couldn't open a bank account uh, because of the, the pandemic. But now, but you could very quickly activate your mobile money account. Um, we're, we're seeing we we're seeing quite you know like I said we've we've jumped two three years and we're seeing um, mobile banking activations more than when I used to be in banking, and then that's pretty interesting and that's pretty exciting. Let's take another quick flashback this time to how I got my first M-Pesa bank account or mobile money account in, uh, in Nairobi. You now have an M-Pesa account. So we are depositing this cash into your M-Pesa account. And um, from there, you can either send the money, buy airtime from M-Pesa, or yeah, send to someone, withdraw if you want it in physical cash. That's what she's currently doing it. Now, any M-Pesa agent can do this process for me? Yes, they can. They have been empowered to do all this we are doing over here. And what was it like using M-Pesa on the streets of Nairobi? Well, in this uh, example, I got the chance to go to Planet Yogurt and do an M-Pesa transaction to buy yogurt there, finding out that people preferred to use mobile money rather than cash. And obviously, M-Pesa's influence has increased since uh, those days back in 2017. But even then, over 60% of transactions in these mom and pop stores or franchise stores were done with uh, M-Pesa, not with cash and not with debit cards. Okay, so we're here at Planet Yogurt and I'm going to buy yogurt for myself and Eddie at this M-Pesa agent. I go into Lipa Nam M-Pesa. That's it. And then I'm going to buy goods and services. Yep. Now it's uh, 707 shillings. I've got the till number, I have to enter the till number, 825030, send, and it says what's the amount, so it's 707, yeah, send that, and I enter my pin, don't look at my pin Eddie, 
I'm not going to read out my pen. Do you want to buy goods and services from 825030 for 707 Kenyan shillings? Yes, accept. And sending. Now, I got a confirmation. Did you get a confirmation as well? So you've got your own phone here that you get your confirmation on. And I get a, hey, thank you for visiting Planet Yogurt. So that's the value-added uh, value services that you can have in it. So, so Rita, how, how long did it take you to get the receipt from when I paid for it? It's almost immediately. Once you get your confirmation, I get my confirmation. It's simultaneously. Uh, what percentage of your transactions are done on M-Pesa in the store? M-Pesa, it's actually 60% of uh, transactions people use M-Pesa nowadays. Wow. Yes. People don't trust cash as much, so they M-Pesa is the best so far. So people trust M-Pesa more than cash these days in Kenya? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. So tell me, what does Planet Yogurt do? Planet Yogurt will sell frozen yogurt, clearly, and uh, fruits and candy. It's a fun thing to go, and it's self-service, so... It's really nice. Well, I'm going to try the yogurt now. Thank you very much, Rita. You're very welcome. Enjoy. From the sounds of it, you know, I mean, it's it's four four years or whatever since since I've been there. But by the sounds of it, um, the banking sector, apart from sort of co-opting the mobile money stuff, and obviously, you know, we we spoke to KCB and um, you know Equity Bank and others who who have have partnered with mobile money um, platforms and, and have done so very successfully. But with with the exception of that, being able to supplement sort of savings plans and some access to credit through the mobile money platforms as a distribution channel for them, it doesn't necessarily sound like there's been much revolutionary rethinking of the design of basic bank accounts to compete side by side with mobile wallets as yet. Um, you know, if you play this out 10 years, how do you think it's going to look across Africa in, in respect to wallet use and the dominance of that for basic mobile banking? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I see mobile money infrastructure playing a significant role in being the base infrastructure for for not for financial services and products, um, and and not just and not just payments. And unfortunately, it will not it will not be um, it will not be the banks. I think I think uh, a lot of the uh, funding and a lot of the capital. Um, uh, you know, would be sitting in the banks, but I think a lot of the products uh, and services, whether payments, insurance, or savings, whatever it is, uh, will largely be moving through um, uh, new new businesses and, and 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 fintech and fintech startups. Um, the, the, to put it to perspective, and the reason why I say this, um, if you count all the branches for all the banks in East Africa, for instance, and all their agent uh, outlets. Um, they're basically 30 to 40 percent of all the mobile money uh, outlets uh, across East Africa. Right. Um, so, so that that already kind of tells you the infrastructure for mobile money exists. Uh, you know, we're talking about in Kenya alone, you know, 200,000 agents, and we only have about uh, 2,000 branches and 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 three and, and 1,500 ATMs and 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 10,000 agents. I mean, it's it's almost a fraction of of the number of mobile money agents uh, there are um, so much so that you know fintechs like ourselves uh, the the on-ramping for fiat or the uh, access of funding you know would love it to be large 
obviously from banks, but the infrastructure just isn't there. Is the banks aren't making it available, and we're largely relying on mobile money. It's just that we're controlled by limits. But I think it's a matter of time. Uh, and I, I think when you look at uh, markets like Kenya, for instance, it's how do these mobile money platforms support or assist these banks to be able to avail the infrastructure to get value out of bank accounts, for instance, uh, as opposed to them trying to figure it out themselves, um, uh, given that they're already integrated to them. Uh, and do you see fintech licensing, particularly um, for things like payments or deposit taking, um, you know, that, that that seems to be gaining popularity or, you know, the, the ability for non-banks to come in and play in this space. Are you, are you seeing broader regulatory acceptance of, of the role of fintech and mobile money in the economies? Um, I, I think eventually it will happen. It's not there yet. Um, for instance, we still don't have a, a fintech license in East Central um, uh, or, or West Africa. Um, what we're seeing largely today is that there's um, there's an acceptance um, and, and, and people are sitting on the table um, to, to have these conversations and how do you regulate uh fintechs and financial technology companies. Uh, we've seen, so, you know, even Kenya issue some license to some interesting companies who you would, you know, they've been there lot, much longer, but would fall under fintech. Um, but I think their biggest concern is not, not wanting to regulate them within the same framework that they're regulating other financial institutions. So they've sort of got to change their own policy even all the way up at, up to treasury uh, uh, level to, 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 to provide for the ability to uh, effectively regulate fintechs. For instance, in, in Kenya, uh, the digital lending platforms just got their uh, approval to be able to list customers on, on the CRBs, uh, which is a step forward, I think, by a central bank. And I think one of the things they're thinking very hard about is uh, in what framework do you regulate them and how do we sort of keep them all close together? Um, how do we get them to do the reporting back to us? Um, how do they do their governance, um, et cetera? Right. Right. Well, guys, unfortunately, we've run out of time, um, but I really appreciate uh, you you joining us all the way from Nairobi. Um, could you um, maybe just tell us where can people find out more about Wappy Pay, um, and um, you know uh, how can we help from from offshore? Absolutely. So you can go to um, wapipay.com, www.wapipay.com, or you could go to, if you wish to transact, you could go to global.wapipay.com and quickly register and we can get you um, testing or trying out your first transaction. Uh, you could also subscribe to WapiPay um, and somebody will get in touch with you on how to um, how WapiPay works. But even more importantly, somebody will get to talk to you about um, where in the world do you pay. You can also send us an email on jumbo at wapipay.com and you can follow us on the wapipay hashtags on uh, on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Jumbo, yes. Um, well, thanks, Paul and Eddie, for joining us all the way from Nairobi and uh, we really appreciate you uh, giving us an up update on the African fintech scene as well. That's it for this week. If you like the show, make sure to give us a five-star rating on your favourite podcast platform or share it with a friend or share it on social media. We'll see you again next week with more Breaking Banks.